Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 803 with Spencer Rubin. Find someone that you trust, yeah. that you can ask questions to when you don't know something. Mentor. You know? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's what you call it. Yeah. <laughs> Is this I a think- melting pot of mental? <laughs> yeah. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Let me give you four reasons why you need Mies in your restaurants. One, it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet. It will give you immediate output of your cost and your conversions. That should be the only reason why you need Mies. But there's a second reason why you will train your staff the right way and save countless hours. Quickly and easily create slideshows with video and image compression so your team can see exactly what they need when they need it. Here's the third reason. You will reduce your waste and execute with consistency. Mies enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need. That's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions. Here's the last reason. You will organize and share your content like never before. Mies is like Google Drive built specifically for the culinary operation. Go to getmies.com slash unstoppable and you will get your first three months free when you get the annual business plan. What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but before we get into it, some quick reminders of what you can do to support this podcast if you're enjoying it. You can subscribe. You can support our sponsors. You can support our affiliates. So whenever a tool or service is recommended organically on the show, I become affiliated with those tools and services. And a lot of the time I can save you money. So if you use my links, you're supporting the podcast and you're helping yourself out. Uh, and thank you in advance. If you use our links, if there's a tool or service you discover through the show, uh, you can share this podcast with Everybody you know in the restaurant industry, especially if they're aspiring to be a better version of themselves tomorrow than they were today. And then lastly, keep those five-star ratings and reviews coming on iTunes. Those really help us rank high, and that's where the majority of my downloads come from. All right, so today we are talking to Spencer Rubin. I love this dude's come-up story. So what really what I really love about his story is he knew from a very young age that he wanted to get into uh, food and beverage and hospitality. And he got the, the advice from an uncle, I believe, to go to business school, specifically Cornell Hospitality Business School. And that's what he did. So instead of working in the restaurant industry and focusing on the food, he was focusing on the business side of things. But beyond that, he learned at a really young age that half the battle of 
being a successful restaurateur is knowing how to open a restaurant. If you getting getting over that initial hump is the hardest part. So he, after college, joined a construction, a hospitality construction and consulting firm. And I think that was just genius to go to work for a company that specializes in helping people open restaurants, right? He did that for a couple of years before opening his own place, the melt shop, which has at one point, I believe scaled to 14 locations. They were on track to really grow aggressively before COVID-19. Obviously they had to dial back, but they are ramping up again. It's a really incredible story. Here it is. Spencer Rubin. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder and CEO of The Melt Shop, Spencer Rubin. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Of course. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Awesome. I love it. So let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, here at Melt Shop, there's something that we throw around, which is love the hustle. Love it's one of our hustle. core values, um, and I think it really embodies how we you know, operate day to day and also how we got through the last, you know, year plus of this crazy pandemic. Um, So hopefully that's inspiring and motivational for you. Uh, But that's how we, you know, that's how we run this thing. Yeah. So when you say love the hustle, um, what is the hustle? Get into like what the hustle means to you. Listen, there's a lot of moving parts to this, this business, this industry and in life, right? You know, there's, it's about loving the journey, you know. It's it's not only about just trying to get to some end goal. It's it's about you know loving the process, yeah. And in in you know making food and cooking to order yeah. and you know delivering exceptional hospitality, you know that's a process that really takes a lot of work, yeah. and you need to love it to do it. Yeah, and I mean sometimes when you think of hustle, the first thing that comes to your mind when you're like hustle, you're like ugh. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be tough. I don't want to do it. But you can choose to, to have that mentality of, oh, I got to go do this. Or you can choose to love it. And I think the, the important thing here is that it is a choice, that you get to choose to show up and love it or hate it. So, that's it. You know, it's powerful stuff. And that's why, that's why it's a value of ours. Yeah. You know, it's really important that you embody that if you're here at Melchop. So how do, you love, how do you love the hustle then is my next question. My follow-up on that is like, what, what kind of things do you do to snap people out of the funk if they're not enjoying the hustle? It's a great question. I think, um, you know, it's about bringing the team together and, you know, letting people know that we're only as good as the sum of our parts, right? Yeah. And each each small detail, each small task is critical to su- the success of the overall organization and, and critical to the su- success of us accomplishing our mission and achieving our, our long-term goals, right? So um, it's reminding people of that and reminding people how important it is to do everything from, you know, smile or greet guests um, or clean the bathroom. It's all important. Yeah, I love it, man. Great way to get this thing started. Uh, where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Because I know that you, you at an early age, you knew you loved food and beverage. Uh, you were intentional about going to Cornell University. You knew, so you knew early on that this was your path. But when did that click for you? <laughs> it's a great question. And I, I've had a few conversations over the last couple of days, so I've told this story a few times very recently, um, and I'm excited to share it again. Um, I'm glad you got some practice. So uh, I started loving food, supposedly, at least my parents tell me, at like an incredibly young age. Like when I was an infant, I would like hum when I ate. <laughs> and it was clear that um, there was like a 
uh, a certain level of joy that I received in a, a certain amount of pleasure that I got out of eating yeah. more so than your average my, show, my yeah. peers yeah. Or, you know or other people in my family or um, friends of my folks etc um, and so you know at first they didn't know what to really make of it um, but as I grew older um, I started to really gravitate towards the kitchen my mom was an incredible home cook um, my grandparents especially my grandfather on my mother's side was like incredible like very much into food and uh, I think my parents found that I was kind of just like ended up in the kitchen all the time even when I was like supposed to be playing or something you know like that that was where I ended up like finding my fun yeah um and as soon as I could I started trying to participate in the cooking process I tried to help my mom make family dinners or if uh, we were at my grandparents' house or my aunt and uncle's house. Like they would start to give me these small tasks, or I would ask for a small task to like help. Yeah, and that evolved into me being like a full participant in cooking any meal, whether it was just a random family dinner on a Tuesday night or Thanksgiving at my aunt and uncle's in D.C. or outside of D.C. I should say. So, so at what point did you know that this was going to be like you're like you're going to commit your your life to food and beverage that there's a career out of this and that you're going to wonder like when did you say like this is my path? So fast forward to the time I was 8 years old, uh, which isn't that long. Um, <laughs> I think I went from like as soon as I started getting asked the question what do you want to be when you grow yeah. up? I think it started, you know, forcing me to try and like process that and and, and understand, you know, what I wanted for myself um, and I think the first response that I had when someone asked me I, I would say I wanted to be a fireman um, and that lasted for about you know a couple of months and then quickly after that I was like I want to be a chef um, and that one kind of stuck with me yeah. um, and when I turned eight um, my my dad's brother my uncle um, who is a really successful um corporate attorney um, and the most successful guy in the family and someone who everyone loved and respected, um, loves, I should say. Uh, he said to me, you know, being a chef is great and that's that's something you could consider doing or um, if you want to be potentially um, more entrepreneurial, you could be a restaurateur yeah. and you should go to the hotel school at Cornell University because that's the best program in the country and in the world. Mm. And uh, this is at that, eight years old. Is that eight? <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of sunk in. <laughs> Apparently, because um, that's what, exactly what you ended up doing. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I didn't have anybody in my family who went to Cornell. Um, and I didn't have anybody in my family who was in the restaurant business. But um, that's kind of what I set my sights on. And uh, everything I did between eight years old and the time I went to Cornell was with the goal in mind of, you know, of getting there, of getting right. There. Yeah. So what did that look like? I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time here because I don't think the most of our listeners are between eight and 14 years old. Yeah. But I mean, I think there is something to be said about vision and having a vision early on. Yep. And then, I mean, what were you doing? I mean, did you have a vision board when you were eight years old or was it just like kind no. of like what you wanted to do? No, I didn't have a vision board, <laughs> but I went, you know, there, there were things I started to really gravitate towards outside of just cooking in the kitchen. So I was doing that all the time, yeah. like literally 
it started out as like helping out, and it was like I'm cooking dinner once a week, I'm cooking dinner twice a week, I'm yeah. going to the grocery store every every trip, you yeah. know. I'm, and then by the time I graduated high school, I'm cooking family dinner at home at least five nights a week. And, yeah. And I was super fortunate that my parents supported me. Oh, I'm sure, like they supported them. Supported that. They're like, yeah, yeah. this is great. Yeah, <laughs> but they but they supported me in like getting you know adventurous with uh, our shopping trips and you know maybe overspending a little bit here and there for Going an ingredient the that <laughs> yeah that they might not have otherwise chosen on their own, um, and that gave me the opportunity to really experiment. But um, as soon as I was close to legal age to work, I started really trying to kind of like professionalize this. And I started working at the age of 13 at a local catering company, just helping out. It was illegal to work yeah. at 13 at the time. Um, we won't and, mention the name of the catering company. Yeah, yeah. We don't <laughs> want to do that. Big liability. Um, and then uh, I started working in different local kitchens as like a prep cook and a line cook, just like really trying to build my resume and some of my technical skills. Um, with the hope that they would both help me get into the hotel school and also help me when I move past that into a more, you know, yep. true professional career. Um, so, yes, so, you, so you did end up at Cornell. Yep. Uh, is it worth kind of hovering over this time there? Uh, was yeah, there a, I think, a key mentor that influenced you or a key experience? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, kind of to explain my journey, um, I know we've just gotten into the early years. We can grow up a little bit here. Um, when I got into Cornell, I really wanted to be – um, I wanted to go there and with the intent of opening up my own full service fine dining white table cloth restaurant. That, yeah. And um, I thought I was going to have this like really fancy joint and new menu every yeah, night. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was going to be so intricate. Yeah. And, um, you know, early on, you know, every, first off, every professor would kind of say, like, you sure you want to do the restaurant thing? You yeah. know, they really wanted to make sure this was the industry you're, of your well, choice. I, mean, I think that's the that's my I think that's that's uh, any educator's role. And anybody who's encouraging people to be successful in this industry needs to first try to talk people out of it. Right. Like that's like the natural like order. So and that's what, and that's what they did. And I think it was the right thing to do because it helped kind of, um, you know, shake the tree a little bit and, and um you know, get rid of some low-hanging fruit. If yeah. You yeah. Um, so then fast forward to my sophomore year, and I was in this restaurant development class with, um, without a doubt, my favorite professor and someone who I've kept in touch with over the years, um, uh, Stephanie Robson. And one of our first case studies was on Chipotle. And okay. at the time, there wasn't a Chipotle in my hometown or near me, and I hadn't experienced it before. This is 2005. Yeah. Because you, you went to school 2014, I only know this because we were like the same age. So yeah, like 2004, 2005, yeah. we were in sophomore year. Uh, yep. So you're 2005, Chipotle at this point is not what it was. I mean, it was just our – I mean, when were they formed? I, I don't know the answer. They're like they're like coined like the fast casual. So they're yes. at the leading edge of this. So kind of give you a perspective of where we are in time for the listener. So keep going. So – was in this restaurant development class, got this case study on Chipotle, and I kind of just started to get obsessed with it. I mean, which clearly is like a trend of mine, right? Like at four years old, I'm getting obsessed with food. Now I go from this like fancy fine dining guy or, you know, aspiring to be and get this like one project that involves this brand Chipotle. And I realized pretty quickly, you know, 
I was always very entrepreneurial in spirit. Always had a ton of ideas. I mean, you should have seen my lemonade stand as a kid. It was so tricked out. It's ridiculous. Nice. <laughs> um, but I had this vision of myself that all of a sudden completely changed. I loved the idea of being able to scale a business, to create a model that you could like scale over 10, 20, 100, 1,000, 10,000 locations, right? Yeah. You know, if you really want to dream big with, with something like so this. So reflecting back at this time, what were the lessons that you learned about Chipotle and what made it scale that wasn't aligned with your previous vision? Well, what really kind of opened my eyes to changing course a little bit um, was, hey, I'm a pretty casual guy, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't wear, you know, a suit and tie yeah. to work every day, and that just never was really me. I just loved really really high quality food and before i came across this chipotle thing um outside of like my local deli which i loved to death growing up the only place you could have like a really great eating experience was either at home or in a fancy restaurant there was very it was rare that there was like an in-between place um and i realized after like this case study that oh you can have really amazing food in a different sort of experience that's more fitting for who I am as an individual, right? And also can satisfy my cravings for growth and entrepreneurship. Not to say that running a fine dining restaurant is not entrepreneurial. It's very entrepreneurial, but... Not scalable. It's not as scalable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it just requires a different sort of skill set that yeah. part of which I didn't feel like was, was what I wanted to put my energy into. And so quickly I kind of changed course. So the, the, the skill set you wanted to put your energy, that you did not want to put your energy to, was becoming a master of all cuisine or whatever? Or it wasn't just that. It was more like I didn't want to become a master of all the intricate steps of service that are yeah. required for the front of house part of a fine dining establishment. Okay. Like, I loved all the steps involved in the back of house part of a fine dining establishment, but I wanted to also wear the entrepreneur hat and yeah. restaurateur hat that I didn't think... Um, I could do well in that got it front of house type experience that you see you know in a three Michelin star restaurant right? okay. like that just wasn't for me so how did after this, having this uh, sophomore class this uh, design class this restaurant design class and having this mentor how did you start to, to see the world differently how did you start to live differently at this point well I immediately just started to um, kind of change my curriculum a bit I started to focus on real estate courses yeah. and development courses and um, started really like looking um, for restaurant development opportunities because one of the things I realized after that course was that you know the reason a lot of restaurateurs fail is because they don't have enough working capital to kind of really get things to a, a, a stable place, right? And this is so appropriate. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Literally this morning from my hotel room, I recorded a workshop with Ken Schwartz, who I was telling you about uh, before the recording, about um, ramping up for financial sustainability when opening a restaurant. Because exactly what you're saying is people always underestimate the, the capital that is involved with getting started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so what ended up, what, what, what I realized quickly, partially because people were teaching me, but also it became really clear that, you know, most restaurateurs fail before they even open their doors mm-hmm. because they don't, they're, they're restaurateurs, not developers. Mm-hmm. And they know how to run the box once they have it, but building the box is not something that they're skilled at. And if 
they overspend during the construction process that takes away from the working capital that's supposed to help them ramp their business and build runway to get to that steady state, right? And so I wanted to really learn the front end of the process to ensure that when I did open my doors, I had the runway to get to a place where then I could start to prepare for growth of unit two, three, four, five, six. So this is the thought you're having while you're still in school. This is sophomore year. Yeah. Sophomore year. That's did, did anybody influence that or is this all internalized? This is, I mean, some of it's influenced, but you know, I, I was using the, the, the information that I had exposure to, to kind of come up with this, this way of thinking on my own. I mean, there's a reason why I'm the only kid I know out of my class that went into wanted to build restaurants You're like, in construction. You're the only <laughs> like, I've interviewed that just like what I always tell people go into uh, before you ever open your restaurant go go work for other restaurants fine tune your skills then go work for people opening restaurants so you can learn how to open a restaurant then open a restaurant but what I love your approach of Look, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm gonna. I'm a restaurant tour. Like my focus is gonna be on the development, the the business side of things. So I'm gonna go work for somebody who does that, and I'm gonna learn. And that's what was it? SB or S? BCD. BCD. Yeah. Uh, what, what? That's a design firm, correct? Well, they're they're um, real estate construction and design. Okay, yeah. and that was your first job, 2008. So that class, that year, after I like towards the end of that class, I got like I got I got it was my. Every class before that, you know, I, I got decent grades, but that, this was the class that yeah. I'm like, this is this is it. It was like this aha moment for me. And towards the end of that class, I, I Googled restaurant developers. Like yeah. I started like looking across the country because it wasn't something that people were talking about at school. You know, they were, at school they were talking about Danny Meyer and Hillstone and all these amazing, you know, operations. Um, but they weren't talking about the front end of the process. And... There wasn't like an internship that showed up at the job fair at Cornell that kind of like fit this mold, right? Yeah. And so I had to go look for it. And so I, I Googled restaurant developers. I started looking all over the place. I came across BCD online and I just like cold called it. Yep. And Andrew, who is the founder and CEO, um, was nice enough to respond is to me. Is that Andrew Stern? Andrew Moger. Okay. I was going to say, because I know there's Stern, Andrew Stern. That's, that's with Orify. Gotcha. gotcha. Dif- different company. Um, Andrew Moger, who was my first boss, but th- this is my sophomore year. I reached out to him, and at the time, uh, it was like going. Into, it was like close to summertime. Wow. So you reached out three years before you graduated. Yeah. Wow, that's that's impressive. Sorry, keep going. But so then he, I reached out to him. I said, "Hey, I'm looking for an internship. I'm really interested in this restaurant development thing." Or you know, I said something like this. Um, I would love to you know talk, and he was nice enough to talk with me, um, and then. I asked about internship opportunities. He said, we already ha- we're already full for this summer, but reach back out next yeah. year. And we can, you know, hopefully there's something available. And so, um, obviously, I was a little disappointed. I went and did something I really wasn't that excited about. As soon as, like, I got back on campus, like, day one, I reached out to Andrew. And I was like, <laughs> like I want to be in the front of the line for yeah. your internship program next year. And he, um, you know, was nice enough to give me a really great opportunity nice. there as an intern. And that turned into... Um, an opportunity as a full-time employee. So it's weird because, I mean, I, I bet in that time uh, working, I mean, what was your role when you first got hired on? Like, what kind of work were you doing? Paint that as, picture. as an intern or as like a real well, employee? Well, as an intern. Yeah. Paint as an intern, intern, you know, it's all, as, as an intern, you're just acting like a sponge. You're just doing kind of tasks, supposed yeah. to just absorb what's going on around you. Uh, you know, 
Andrew was nice enough to bring me to meetings and give me exposure to things that um, I probably wasn't deserving of at yeah. the time. But what were some of the biggest lessons you learned as an intern, just observing and being around that? I think I learned, I learned what I wanted to do, at least within his organization. And I also learned maybe some of the things I didn't want to do. Like I got exposure to like the brokerage side of the business and that sort of thing. Really wasn't interested in that. Yeah. That wasn't close enough to like the hands-on yeah. part of the work. Um, I learned that, um, you know, building is, is really involved. There's a lot of moving parts. It takes a whole bunch of work. Yeah. Um, requires a ton of grit mm-hmm. um, and can be like uh, really intense and really fun, you know, and really frustrating all at the same time. Right. Um, and I learned that it was something I was really interested in pursuing further. You know, I, ne- I never wanted to be like a contractor. It was ne- like it was a, a, a step on my journey. And I, and I learned that summer that it was a a step worth taking more seriously and more professionally um, because I saw how little some of the um, operators that we were, that I was just like watching grow during that summer, how little they knew about the process and why they needed Andrew so much. Yeah. I mean, I say it all the time. I mean, it's one thing to run a restaurant. It's a completely other thing to open a restaurant. So if you can become an expert in opening a restaurant first and really opening restaurants Especially if you're, uh, you do one, and I think this is kind of evolves later into our conversation. But the other element about fine dining versus the path you chose when you first started, you were just doing grilled cheese, the melt shop. You were just doing one thing really well, right? What's how hard is it to do one thing? I mean, it's not. It's easier than doing a bunch of things really well, but it's. it's but the idea is like that's easier in my mind than than starting, right? Running that is easier than starting that. So if you can become an expert in starting it which is what you chose to do. It's only going to set you, like we already kind of were reiterating what we already said earlier. But what was the, when you started working as a employee now for B, uh, BCCD, what, what were, like paint that picture of the work you're doing, what you learned during that time. Yeah, so um, close your eyes and picture this right now. Okay. Uh, I'll literally do it. <laughs> okay. So it was, I graduated in May of 2008. Okay. I think it was the 24th of May. Got it. And I started my job, like my full-time job with Andrew. Um, I think it was June 1st. June, Jesus. So, you know. So a month. Six, Less than a month. Yeah, six days, six whatever. Days. Can I open my eyes now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, it, but it was, you know, right kind of at the start of this, or right before this financial crisis, right? And I was... I was really fortunate to work for him for a few years, especially during that time, because he had already brought on a few really great and really decently capitalized concepts as clients, um, which positioned us very well for a whole bunch of work over the next few years. Because basically what ended up happening is the market tanked, a lot of people closed, there was, you know, you could pick like the best A plus real estate in New York for pennies on the dollar, what yeah. it was earlier. And he had great concepts that were looking to grow in this market at that time. And so um, I was fortunate that I got to participate in helping those brands grow because it was um, the learnings were just so great. And I was able to 
be kind of just thrown in the fire and, and, and get a lot of responsibility really quickly. So during this three years or two point nine month, two years and nine months you're there, um, LinkedIn is very helpful. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> when you were there, uh, is no yeah. <laughs> uh, when you were there, what were the biggest lessons that you think set you up for success in opening the metal shop? Like reflecting back, like what sets you up for success? Like hands down. I think just being able to, to, I mean, the first part is just learning how to actually properly work hard, right? Like you don't go to Cornell and then work your X number of hours per week um, during school, you know, not knowing how to work at all. But like working as a student or working as a intern or even working like a summer job or a high school job is different than being like a true full-time employee Mm -hmm. um and so i think the first thing was like just learning how to get in a rhythm of just like working Mm full-time and like understanding the routine that was needed to deliver on my job well and also know how to like lean in and put in the extra hours when it was needed versus like say all right we're gonna pick this back up tomorrow it's like no we're gonna finish this tonight you know just learning those things took some time right so but outside of that um, I also got to learn, you know, the process for finding a location, doing due diligence, negotiating a lease to make sure that you're not getting screwed over during your construction process, getting the right architect on board, designing a space, you know, getting the right equipment and materials, negotiating those contracts, bidding out the work with a general contractor, managing a general contractor, and finishing that project on time and on budget to hand the keys over to a client and say, all right, now you can do your part, which is open this thing and run it. That's crazy. I mean, I'm trying to like, in my mind, I'm trying to think of like specific examples of like tangible things that you can give my listeners uh, so they can you know, recreate that in their own lives. But what you just said, that process is so deep. There's so many elements there. And there's probably a team of people that work for this firm that focus on each element of that those little verticals, I would imagine, right? But what you were able to do was get perspective. I think that's the most important thing because you don't you know when you're just diving into this industry, you don't know what the value of a, a property is. You don't know what a good deal versus a bad deal is because you've never seen it before. So getting in there and just doing it and seeing example after example after ex- example of what these terms look like and what these deals look like, what the value of things are, you have now you have just reference points. Of, totally, I mean that's you. Like, like I think. If I were to have tried to build a restaurant that had, you know, 21 foot hoods with black iron ducting and I found an amazing space that used to be a shoe store in the best location ever and I only had a few hundred grand to build it. I might have done that if that was the first thing I did out of college. But why isn't it okay to, to go into a shoe store versus Because it say, doesn't have any sort of infrastructure that's for a restaurant, right? And what's right? that startup cost And the be? startup cost on that is huge. Exactly. And so unless, you know, I didn't know that at the time, but then I learned that over the course of my few years is building it, restaurants. Is it zoned for restaurants? Is, is what's it, it going to cost to get is zoned? Is it zoned? I mean, yeah. you know, how many stories is the building and how much black iron do you have to run to the roof, you know? Yeah. It, you know, what's the roof made out of? Does can it, it support, you know, can it support the, the, hood? The, yeah. the, the fan? You know, yeah. like all these things, yeah. right? And so like the, that's those are the sort of things I got exposure to. Um, and although there were really hard days, you know, building a lot of restaurants at the same time can yeah. be really um, 
exhausting. Yeah. If, there's, uh, if there's one thing that comes to mind, knowing what you know now, get, getting all this experience, hearing about people, you know, seeing stories of people starting and failing, and if you could prevent somebody from making the mistakes you've seen with the knowledge you know, give us like one or two nuggets right now from that experience that you picked up of things that just nine times out of ten people just don't pick up on or they make this mistake. I mean, I think it's find someone that you trust yeah. that you can ask questions to when you don't know something. Mentor. You know? Yes. Yeah. That's that's what you call it. Yeah. <laughs> Is this I a think, melting pot of mentors? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's it's like be humble. Like know what you don't know. Yeah. And if it like listen, sometimes you're gonna have to trust your gut and make a decision, right? You can't be you're not gonna be able to ask someone how to do everything but like when there are things that come up that may like seem like they're they're out of your experience range or you know could cost a lot of money if you make the wrong decision like have someone you can call like, yeah you know someone who's done it before right because it. there's nothing more valuable than experience with these things yeah for sure all right we're gonna take our first break thank our sponsors and we'll be right back here are four reasons why you need me's in your restaurant One, it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet. Never again waste time trying to find yields and converting unit measures or creating extra sub recipes just to account for yield updates because Mies has a database of thousands of ingredients and prep actions with yields and conversions built right into the interface. So you get immediate output of your costs and your conversions. That's huge. Number two, you will train your staff the right way and save countless hours your team sees in real time updates of all the recipe content plus you can send notifications and answer questions directly through me's quickly and easily create slideshows with video and image so you can show your team exactly what they need when they need it here's the third reason why you need me's in your restaurant you will reduce waste and execute with consistency me's enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need and that's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions Tell Mies how many portions you want, watch your recipe scale automatically. Tell Mies how much yield you want, watch it scale automatically. You can even enter the amount of ingredients you have on hand and then watch the recipe scale automatically. Here's the fourth and final reason why you need Mies in your restaurant. It organizes and shares your content like never before. Mies is like Google Drive specifically for the culinary operation. Here's your call to action. Go to getmees, that's M-E-E-Z dot com slash unstoppable, and make sure you mention Restaurant Unstoppable when signing up to get three free months when you get the annual business plan. Get on it. We are back, and now I really want to get into... uh the like the nitty gritty of like you're 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 living so intentionally, and I love that about your story. You know, you recognize like in as your sophomore year in college, you recognize what what causes most restaurants to fail, which is not having the operational capital, not knowing how to open restaurants, and getting in trouble from that point, and then it just snowballs uh, from there. Um, so now you've got this experience opening restaurants. Uh, you, you give it two and a half years, almost three years. What's going through your mind? Did you when did you know you wanted to do? Um, a, a grilled cheese concept. Well, so I, I think as you can tell with my um, my determination at eight years old, eight years older, um, I like to set goals. And they can be short-term, they can be long-term, but it's something that I've really kind of found, um, you know, has helped me, you know, achieve, you know, things that I've wanted to achieve in my life. And so 
when I was in college, my like going into my senior years, like I want to open my own restaurant by the time I'm 25. Okay. And so part of the thing with taking that job at BCD was this is going to be you know my first step, but with the with the goal of starting my own restaurant um, and opening its doors before I'm 25 years old. And so um, that's what I set out to do. And that was part of the reason I went to BCD was to really learn that process. But also Andrew, who who was my boss at the time, was very entrepreneurial. And he was like, you know, let's talk about this over the year, like over the years. And if an opportunity comes up, like we can... Well, that's what was going through my mind. Like working for a company like this, I'm like, did they... Were they there? Were they helping you along the way? And like, if, if so, how amazing is that? That you get access to a, like a restaurant design firm with their first restaurant. Like what kind of, how is that going to set you up for success? You know what I mean? Like, that's yep. incredible. Yep. So, so fast forward, you know, two years, maybe it's like even, sorry, call it two years into that, that working experience. Um, I started working on, um, Five Guys Burgers and Fries in Manhattan, the franchisee from Manhattan. Um, that was one of. We see you started working on it, meaning you were. They were the a front. client. Okay, sorry, gotcha. so they were a client of ours. Um, they were a client of Andrews, and yeah. um, <clears throat> they were starting to build out restaurants in New York City. And I was managing those projects, and the principals of the parent company, which was called um, Five Points at the time, and Andrew started talking about you know how to. Like maybe we could join um, forces and um, you know invest in something. You know we could be the development arm, you could be the operating arm, and we would make a good team. And Spencer here who wants to start his own restaurant business one day. He can be you know the 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 operator, right? Yeah. He can he can help get this thing off the ground. And so we actually started working on a donut concept. Believe it or not, they had hired a consultant to help kind of create this thing, um, and. That didn't work out so well. And then this flyer for our 53rd and Lexington location came into our inbox. And one of the ideas that we had thrown around was a grilled cheese concept. And I said, you know what? Like, I think grilled cheese is a winning category. No one is doing it. It's as familiar as white bread. You know, it fits nicely between better burger and pizza. Um, and flour and, I mean, flour and water, bread, basically with cheese in between. Like yeah, yeah. Low overhead costs, and it was something I was really familiar. I was like, "Why is th- this isn't a this isn't a category yet? This isn't a this isn't a um, scaled brand yet." I want to build this, and your donut thing didn't work out that like the way so you had wanted to. I'm so curious, I, I want to build this why, company. Why didn't the donut thing work out? What was the issue there? Was it a person issue or? Ah, uh, you know, I don't know all the reasons. Honestly, like I was, I was kind of. I was involved in, in the whole thing, but I wasn't involved in every conversation behind the scenes with them at the time. Um, and honestly, I love a good donut. Don't get me wrong, but Who I just don't love a good donut. You know, there are a lot of donut concepts yeah. out there. Especially and I, now. And, uh, yeah, for sure. And I just didn't think that they people wanted to eat donuts with the same frequency that they might have a sandwich. Um, you don't go get donuts every week. I exactly. Mean, some people. Some people do. <laughs> God bless them. Yes. Uh, but, you know, but... That's like a special events thing. You go to some place, you get a donut one time so you can get the photo of the donut, and then you never go back. Exactly. Or you go once a year. That was my thinking. That was my thinking anyway. And so I was like, all right, I'm on board. This is going to give me an opportunity to start something. But I wasn't like in love with the idea. Um, And when this flyer came through our our, our inbox, it was like, you know, uh, a brokerage flyer. 
It was for a 300-square-foot existing vented kitchen in the middle of, you know, midtown Manhattan, arguably the densest point in North America. You know what I mean? And so... And it was because it was so small and because it was like this outdoor um, kind of snack stand, if you will, the rent was really cheap. I was like, all right, so let me get this, right? Already vented, total captive audience, turnkey. Turn like, well, I mean, this, this is the perfect place for me to test a restaurant Yeah, concept. what do you need to start a grilled cheese concept? A griddle? That's it? Yeah. And there was a broken oven that I fixed and a... a Rundown fryer that I refurbished. Yeah, and that was my kitchen equipment package. Yeah, and this is something that I that I, comes up all the time. So I must not like a broken record right now. Uh, but when it start when it comes to like starting something, some people like I think they think in their mind that they're not legitimate unless they have like a like a fifteen hundred square foot no. big operation, hundred seats or whatever it is. But as far as getting started, like how much more expensive is that going to be to get started? Start as small as possible. You were 300 square feet. Is that what you said? 275. 275 <laughs> square feet. Nothing but grilled cheese, a griddle. What is your operate like turnkey? What was your, what did it cost you to start? So including lease deposit, yeah. building my website, my right. logo, my signage. You know, I, th- that restaurant needed some work because, yeah. um, there was just like it, we had to build some like new plumbing to get our like a proper like it wasn't up to code so we had yeah. to fix some things, um, but we started Melt Shop uh, for under two hundred thousand dollars. Wow, under two hundred thousand yeah. I mean, dollars. that's that's great. And we wow. were able to pay back that original location in I think less than eighteen months. That's amazing. Um, and what was your menu like when you first got started? So when we first started, we worked with. Um, I, I, we brought in a chef, um, incredibly talented chef uh, named Katie Sparks, and she helped us um, build our first menu. And um, it was all grilled cheese focused, but it was gourmet grilled cheese. I mean, we were doing things like pickling our own peppers and roasting our own tomatoes in that broken oven that was like, you know, so small. You can you had yeah. to do like one small tray at a time. It was yeah. ridiculous. Um, and, um, the food was amazing. The food's always been amazing. Um, so what we realized pretty early on, although like grilled cheese was something that people really craved and really loved the, the frequency, the frequency driving nature of the product and the, the, the craving that came with that category wasn't as frequent as we wanted. And the time it took to make some of these really elaborate grilled cheeses from like cooking them to order from scratch um, was more than your average Midtown employee was willing to wait. Yeah. Um, And we also learned that it was really hard to not only cook fried chicken, buttermilk fried chicken from scratch and make it amazing every single time, but also we're cooking bread and cheese separately and timing that all together is you know like there's a real art to that um and we just learned that we needed to put a lot of work into optimizing our menu and optimizing our processes um to get the frequency that we wanted at the right time standard to meet our guests wants and needs okay so um, dialing back, um, you said it, for $200,000, you're able to open this restaurant. I mean, 
I'm sure you you weren't making a ton of money as uh, you know working for a design firm. Um, did you have to get loans? Did you did you have partners? Like, how, did, what what did your team look like getting started? So, Andrew, the founder and CEO of BCD, yep. and John and Andy, the principals of Five Points Partners, together put the money up to start Melchop. Okay, so Five Point Partners are they the original founders of of Five Guys? No, no, they're just they were Five Guys franchisees. Okay. Today. So they they got they own the, the, the rights to Manhattan. And this is um, Orify today. Yes. So Andy and John got into the restaurant biz through the Five Guys franchise opportunity. There there were a few steps part- along the way, but okay. Five Guys was what they were doing when you came into yes, the picture. Yes, correct. Um, they were looking to collaborate with BCD to kind of like BCD would be the developer, they would be the operators. Uh, you were work. You were kind of going to be an operator too, so there was a little bit of a trilogy going on here. Um, you had the idea of grilled cheese; they backed that up. Is that what's going on? Well, the, the actual idea for grilled cheese came from a friend of John's after okay. he went to a gourmet lunch, and he like came to our office. He's like, "Yo, I know you guys are working on concepts. Like, I just had this amazing grilled cheese at this restaurant." Yeah. You guys should throw this on, like, you should do this. Like, this yeah. is a good idea. But that was before, like, we had a list of things we were working, like, we wanted to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were like, like, they were like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, so we put it on our list. But they got, they really wanted to do this donut thing. Yeah. But the, the, the grilled cheese thing was something I really you held on to. With yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, I was like, I'm, I was, I was like obsessed over it, but I didn't know. I was a kid. Like I didn't know yeah. how to. I didn't know how to like talk to these gotcha. sophisticated business guys. So you were going to be the operator. Yep. These guys were backing you. Um, what, what advice can you give us about what a good partnership needs? When when you're getting money from other people, what things do you need to do to, to do it right? I mean, it really depends on what you're good at and what you're not. Right. Yeah. I think like ideally, you're finding partners that have done something comparable before it can give you advice along the way and be you know um a sounding board for you when you need it um or you know ideally you have partners who can open doors for you and help you um help you with relationship building you know for places where you may not have a network um you know sometimes partners that are just you know, capital partners are also valuable too, right? It just depends on what your skill set is and what yeah. your needs are. So, what were your skill sets at this point? How 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 are you needing to be compensated at this point? I mean, as far it, as skills, my my skill set at this point was loved food, knew you know, read Eater every yeah. single day, knew every <laughs> single hot place in yeah. New York City, um, and really had a I think a pretty well trained palate for, for my market. age because yeah. just because I was always eating and yeah. like. I was just always around food growing up yeah. and, and really made up. That was my purpose. Right? And what did they do for you? What did that do for me? And what did they do for you? So this is, you kind of said your lane, your role, kind of market knowledge, uh, passion for the food, uh, just like entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, when they came into the picture, like as far as talking about partnerships go, like what part of the equation did they bring for you? So they brought capital. They helped us secure the lease, right? Yeah. Because I, I didn't have, I wasn't able to like, guarantee yeah. at least at 24 um so they help with both of those things they help me 
um, think through, you know, the development of the brand and yep. help me think through the development of the menu and how to position things. Um, and they were just there for me to, to brainstorm with yeah. and come with new ideas. I was able to leverage um, the one person back office that existed at the time for that um, five guys portfolio. Yeah. It was like a controller who helped me like manage the books and that what, sort of thing. What about on paper though? Like how do you put this down on paper to protect yourself? Like what does that partnership look like on paper? I mean, there was, you know, I had an equity position in the business. Um, and I think what I, I, how do I say this? Um, these are hard questions, by the way. These so I are really, real, yeah, and I yeah. want to make sure I answer them and this, appropriately. And, and, and I realize, and I know I put people on the spot sometimes, but I feel like this is also where people get in a lot of trouble, and there's just not a lot of information out there about this because people because it is sensitive information, you know? Listen, I think at the end of the day, you want when it comes to um, starting a business and getting equity, especially at a very young age, I think it's important that you get multiple opinions. Like, don't go and just ask your parents because they're going to say, oh, you're worth more no matter what the yeah. fuck it is, right? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but, like, go talk to some people that know, you know, know business, know your experience, and who can help give you some additional perspective. Because I think, like, I think my deal for my age and my skill set was probably appropriate. But my for my work ethic, it probably wasn't. Yeah. You know, and so it is what it is. That's the deal I made. And I think um, that's evolved over time, too. Yeah. And um, I like don't be afraid to ask for what you want. I think is the most the most important message that yeah. I can give to anybody. But you guys got to think about what they're bringing to the table. You're 24 years old. Exactly. They have all this experience. They have this money. Like they were taking the risk. Yeah. You know, right? for me, it was just a time risk. Yeah. At the yeah. end of the day. And I, Worst case scenario would have just been an amazing learning experience. Ex- exactly. You know? so, 24 years I think, old, still um, moving to mom and dad. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I really wasn't risking much. Um, and it wasn't like they weren't holding my hand. Like, it was truly like my baby. Yeah. I built the whole thing from scratch. I named it. I designed it. I built well, the I menu. Like, yeah. everything was truly mine. Um, so you're I literally was laying tile on the floor you know a few days before we opened because our contractor was late yeah i'm also curious because you brought becky in right was that the name the chef becky did i get the name right katie katie i don't know why i said becky so you brought katie in Uh, was she going to be like was that the beginning of that relationship kind of spelt out like you're here to help us develop the menu but we don't need you thereafter was it a contract it was a con it was a contract you know it was like all right help us build this many menu items you know prep recipes food costs and that was the scope at the time. I think that's really important to bring into the conversation, too, because most people, because we just, all we know is what we know. Most of what people know is you hire an executive chef and they become part of your team and they're there forever. But if you're doing something that's going to be a few staple, you know, you, you brought in, you, ha- you developed a couple uh, of, I mean, how many items were on your, your menu when you first started? Oof. Um, I think we had 12 grilled cheeses and then we had tater tots which you've always had yeah. chop tots we okay. had milkshakes um so relatively small it. menu yeah. right um designed one time and maybe modified it slightly i mean it time. was a lot of work building it you oh know, yeah it's a, it's i'm a, not trying to i'm yeah. not trying to say that it wasn't an undertaking but i think one of the, I guess the point i'm trying to make is if it's if it's something that you're trying to scale 
Take Chipotle, for example. How, how, how many iterations of the burrito do you think they've seen? I don't know. Not that many. Uh. Maybe you're a lot early on, but then they got it to where they wanted it, yep. and then they scaled it, yep. right? I just think as far as like a business perspective goes, if you can hire somebody early for the skill that they bring, right, which is the, like the artisanal like culinary ability to, to develop something, yep. then you, it's much less expensive short-term to pay them a lot up front for their ability and then to, to cement your recipes and then to scale, right? Was that kind of your approach? I don't yeah, listen, I mean, I think we had, we had limited capital to start the business. We didn't have the, you know, bankroll to fund a chef on, on, on salary full time. You know, yeah. that's just how it was. And, um, you know, so that's why we had to do something in a consulting capacity. I mean, I probably could have come up with a grilled cheese menu, yeah. right? It never would have been as good out of the gate as what Katie created. I think yeah. um, what uh, we then did over time, though, was we made you know we made things so they were scalable and, and changed processes so okay. they wouldn't they weren't so backbreaking in this two hundred seventy five yeah. square foot kitchen. Um, we never compromised flavor or quality. We just Optimized. It's the so only what way were the first think. couple uh, months like? Take us through those first couple months. Like you're open. Take us through that. Well, so uh, we were like kind of coming down to the wire, um, and it was clear like my birthday was my 25th birthday was coming up. Yeah, remember that 25 goal. That yeah. goal. So I probably like forced us to open like a couple <laughs> days earlier than we were ready for, just just because you I wanted understand. to. Yeah. yeah, I was like, we're hitting this freaking yeah. thing. I'm not. I'm not taking no for an answer. Um, so we actually opened on my 25th birthday, Melchop's birthday and my birthday are the same day, April 18th. Um, and remember I had a lot of different experiences, but I never had true hardcore ops experience. And so the first, you know, year was really, um, about learning how to operate this business. Like how do you, how do you standardize? How do you, you know, build a really strong and replicable routine, right? How do you lead people and motivate people and, um, you know, take care of people, right? How do you find, you know, the right person that you want on your team? You know, how do you, how do you make sure that you're the, you're the right employer for them, right? You know, there's such an, there's so much of there's so much that goes into the day to day of a restaurant operation, and um, there was a lot of that that I was learning on the job, frankly, and it was super intense and overwhelming. And uh, I don't think I would know as much as I do today if I didn't do all this the way I did, though, because it was I had a crash course in construction because yeah. all of a sudden, like overnight, I had like ten projects I was working on, and I had a crash course in operations because all of a sudden I had this business that had lines like that were wrapping around this plaza that i was like how the heck are we gonna like do this you know and it was crazy and how long did the executive chef stay on for did she help you open and she was there just through the first week and that was it okay and we like we had a relationship like we talked once in a while but um after that you know i was uh, was on my own okay and uh and uh i changed you know over the years i've we've evolved a lot you know we've changed the menu a lot yeah which is i think one of the things I love the most. Yeah, which is something I was going to bring up. Like, but the, I think the point that I was going to make earlier, and I was going to bring this up later, is that like you start as simple as possible. 
right? Start with a minimal viable product. Yep. Something MVP. Simple. That's what we talk about that all the time. Yes. Something simple and scale over time. But if you start small, focus on doing one thing really well, listen to the market. What do you want? What do you wish we had? What do we? What else can we make with the items that we have on hand? Hmm. Grilled cheese. Take away the bread. Add pasta. Mac and cheese. Like you know, like I'm looking at your menu. This is very smart. You know, uh, you can scale very, I don't know, intentionally. In, in, like, but just start small, right? And yep. It seems like that's what you did over time. You exactly. slowly build your menu. Yeah, I mean, um, we have a very broad menu, but everything on our menu is a hitter. You yeah, know, like yeah. it, it, there, it's. I think one of the things I learned, like we, there was a period of time where we tried to like make new things, but we were focusing. Like there was. A, there were there were a couple of dishes where we focused on like ease of execution versus like like best thing in a category, right? Yeah. And now it's like, all right, let's start from scratch. Like what's the what's the best thing we could freaking make in this category? And now let's reverse engineer it so it works in our operation, right? Yep. I love it. Okay, so you just dropped some really great questions on us. Like, how do you standardize? How do you build routine? How do you lead and build people how do you find the right people so guess what you're answering all these questions for us now you have to uh it's only natural order right so how do you build routine early on and or how do you standardize early on what was that like for you how did you do those things why is that so important well first i would say like you can't boil the ocean right (laughs) and um at the beginning you know i think it kind of felt like my you know it feels like your hair's on fire if you don't if you don't kind of like take a step back take a breath and focus on one thing at a time right yeah. so i quickly learned like all right i can't do everything at once yeah. we as a team can't do everything at once so we need to prioritize and we're going to do one thing at a time and work on 1% incremental improvements over time right yeah. and so um we would say, all right, we we have we're not ordering bread the way we want to because it's baked fresh and delivered fresh daily, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to come up with a bread ordering system and bread ordering pars, and we're going to train the entire management team on how to use that. That's the project for the next seven yeah. days. I think a lot of people get so caught up in their head when, before because they hear on a podcast or something that like you need systems, processes, procedures, standardization, policies, all these things. Yes, you do, but they do not need to be set in stone on day one. No. And, and here's the thing. If you try to get them set in stone, you're going to realize that you're wrong. And that's, that's not the best way to do it. Well, that goes, back to MV, that goes back to MVP, right? Exactly. Same way there's MVP of restaurant, there should be MVP of process, right? Yep. Like, don't spend three years making the perfect process that you then hand to the rest of the team. And they're like, this thing sucks. Yeah. You know? Make make a version of it and, and, you know, talk to the team and say, hey, can you test this, just this one yeah. little thing out for the next yeah. week and see, you know, how does it feel? How does it work? What would you do differently? This is right? the way we do it now. However, if you can find a better way to do it later, exactly. bring it to us. Exactly. Um, so the, the first step is kind of laying it all up there, prioritizing. Like what's when you are prioritizing, what's going through your mind? How do you know what to focus on first? Well, sometimes you think you know what to focus on first, but then everyone else around you is like, that shouldn't be the focus, <laughs> right? So I think you have to collaborate with your yes. team in order to prioritize properly. Yep. Like what I want to do and think is the most important thing may not always be what the team feels is the most important yeah. thing. And so it's like, what's the thing that we can do now that's going to make everything else we do, everything else we do easier, right? Yep. Um, I think, I think like looking at things from that perspective and having different perspectives help you come up with the right 
prioritization, right? Yeah. yeah. Like if you if you make every single decision without talking to anyone, you're bound to misstep more frequently than if you get some input. Yeah. So we got we kind of broke down how do you start standardizing, prioritizing, standardization. Uh, you mentioned the importance of routine. What do you mean by routine relative to business? Well, in terms of the restaurant business, you know, it's all about consistency at the end of the day, right? So how are you going to create a consistent product if every day someone comes in at a different time and every day, you know, your process for opening the restaurant's different and every day the way you do something is different, you, then gonna, the product's never going to be, yes. it's always going to be different, exactly. right? And yeah. so, you, like, you need to start do, you need to start to control the variables so they, the lead up to then building a an amazing product is consistent so that thing can then be built the same so what's, what's the secret to establishing routine in your business first off it's great people right like finding and committing to and building trust and relationships with great people yep. right because if you're just some revolving door you're never going to be consistent yeah right and so team is priority number one because you could have the best freaking systems in the world but if you suck as an employer and you don't know how to keep people engaged in, you know, working with you and on your team, it's not going to mean anything, yeah. right? So, people, people is That's first, one. first and foremost. Second is building, building processes yes. that work, right? Checklists, you know, like, che- I mean, we use something called Blanket, um, which is basically just a checklist yeah, program. I'm super excited about Blanket. Actually, the uh, I can't remember. Forgive me, Michael Jacober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he's the founder. Yes, he just hired a woman. Yes, um, her name's escaping me right now. I just met her not that long ago too. I'm feeling really embarrassed. I'm so sorry for listening to this. Um, I'm super excited. So Blanket's very similar to Jolt, yep. which has been recommended a lot in the past. Uh, nothing against Jolt, but I've heard recently that Jolt's not really been staying fresh. They're yeah, so Michael is Michael. Hey, he used to be a restaurateur. He opened. He owned a number of different restaurants. Actually, he was he owned Morris uh, Morrison Grilled Cheese okay. Truck, which was like opened right after us. Oh. You know, so I was a direct competitor of Melchop <laughs> at the time. I, I didn't know I'd be like, you know, yeah, working closer closer with him later in my career. Um, but uh, he's incredibly nimble. He's adding new features all the time. He's an incredible listener to the operators yeah. that you know work with his system, and it's an amazing product. It's something we're we're using, yeah. and also we're we're adopting new features as he rolls them out. So this all stemmed from how do you build routine through proper processes, procedures, checklists, and Blanket is the software you're using to implement those checklists, those procedures. Correct, and we're we're, we're really routinely. trying to use that as the OS of the of our back of house, like. There's time and temp logs in it now. There's like um, labels with like all of our prep recipes and you know uh, use by dates. Like so, as these new features get added, it, it means our team needs to you know work with less and less systems. They can put all their energy into this one place that ultimately will do almost everything we need from a system perspective. So, perspective yeah, and, uh, David Scott Peters, I don't know if that name's familiar, if you know that name, he was on the show, restaurant consultant, uh, and I always quote him, you don't want to create system, or sorry, people-dependent operations, you want to create system-dependent operations and put great people into those systems, right? So you start with great people, 
right? And then you build systems around those people yep. so you're not dependent on them. Yep. And then you feed more great people into those systems. That's and exactly you, it. And you're using Blanket to do that. Uh, you also mentioned a couple of times now, um, how do you know you're the right employer for them? And how do you inspire and how do you keep them excited and all that stuff? So get into that a little bit before we talk about how you started to scale. Well, I think it's about constantly being in the restaurants and just like temperature checking, right? Like how does how do how do our people feel and do people like seem engaged? Are you seeing smiles? Are you seeing frowns? Like like what is going on in your restaurant day to day, right? Yeah. So just like there's a there's a human component to that that you just need to kind of like look out for. But then it's also just asking a lot of questions, right? Like how are we doing? What could we do to make your job easier? What could we do to make your job better? Um, so just listening and, and engaging and yeah, and, but, but also like being the tipping point, not waiting for it to like come to the point where it, it explodes, but being ahead of that opportunity before things get bad and just kind of like, I don't know, just always being there to kind of stay ahead of the ship. Exactly. Right? I mean, we do something, you know, you always hear about exit interviews. We do yeah. something called stay interviews, okay. right? Like <laughs> what, what's going on in the field? You know, just like answer these questions for us. Take these surveys for us. What's going to make sure that you stay here and that you're happy? Yeah, right? I think it was Mike Ganino we had on the show that said the, no, the m- number one most important number you can track in your business at the end of the shift, have your people from one to five, one being the least happy, five being the most happy, just check in. And if you start getting some twos and threes, that's your cue. Mm-hmm. And that's your, your state interview. Like, what's going on? Yep, I you love know? that. I love it, yeah. Cool. Um. 2011, first melt shop. At what point are you like, okay, this thing does have legs. It is scalable. And what, what, what did you have to do to get to that point where you're like, okay, let's open two, let's open three, let's open four? Well, listen, I think with the fast casual hat on, right, the intention was always to make a multi-unit brand out of this thing. That's yeah. why we did it. Yeah. That was super intentional. Yeah. Um, we when we opened our doors, we had so much press, we and we were like the coolest thing in our portion of Midtown at the yeah. time. We had lines from day one. Like we would open at eleven, there were lines that started to form at ten wow. at the beginning. You know, um, and quickly we were delivering the unit level economics that justified a second location. Like it was like, all right, it's clear. Like this thing, it has real potential. We've created a category that no one else was, was, um, operating in at the time. And so we thought, let's, let's start to build this thing, um, quickly. So we used the first year really to kind of create processes, optimize, um, you know, figure out you know how to run this thing from a from a back of house and production perspective um and then we started looking for our second location once we felt like we were in a really good rhythm that revenue was like pretty consistent our profitability was pretty consistent like our day-to-day operations were pretty consistent um that's when we were like all right i think we're ready for number two and what we thought, you know, um, it was really important for us for our second location was let's make sure we have a bit of a dining room this time. Yeah. You know, right now we only have 275 square feet. How do we create more of an experience that people can attach to? Um, and so that's when we started looking. And then we found a 900 square foot location <laughs> that was an existing 
cafe um, previously with venting and everything. And it also had some outdoor space. Um, and we're like, cool. The first one had, some, had an outdoor plaza. This one has like, a, like a, an outdoor plaza too. We can kind of play on that a little bit and make it part of the brand. Um, and also really affordable. You know, yeah. the rent was really good. So that's when we opened up our 26th and 6th location, which is okay. um, our oldest location. So too. as you started scaling, um, when was it, so the, the second location was about a year, you said? Yeah, well, that's what we started looking for. When was the third location? So you're in the third location this, right now. Yeah. Um, this we started working on. This is we started working on about six months into the second location opening. Okay, and we opened this like halfway through year three, like around June. So like now we're looking at like 2014. So you went from three locations to 2014, three years into business, to uh, five years later, 14 locations. So an additional. Like uh, eleven locations. Uh, talk to us about how your role. Because early on, the first location, I'm sure you're on the line. Like you're the guy making the grilled cheeses, right? Oh, yeah, I was the GM. Yeah, know. exactly. So, <laughs> what was your evolution as a restaurant tour? And take us through the things you had to do. I think we kind of covered systems, processes, procedures pretty well. Um, we didn't really get into culture so much. A little bit about how to, you know, to listen and be receptive to your people. But how did you? Now that you can't be in all these places at once, but you have to make sure that culture is being maintained, what are the things you're doing to maintain the culture and scale and not lose track of you know, consistency and all these other things? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I think it's so critical to yeah. the success of um, a restaurant, right? Um, I think the, the biggest thing that, that I focused on and, and, and something that I had to learn over time is, is really how to trust and how to empower people, you know, like when I first opened that first location, like it's like, I got to make the sauce, you know, like you get, like you get fixated on making something a specific way. And that's a flawed way of thinking, frankly, like you have to, you know, you want to teach someone how to fish. Right. Um, and then empower them, you know, to do, do the job and do it well. And, Mm -hmm. and I think, um, what I learned as we started to scale was that we really needed great, not only to hire amazing people and create a really good culture, but we had to train them really well. Um, and it became clear as we started to open this location that, you know, there was a big opportunity for us to develop better training processes and pr- procedures to give people the confidence to do the job at a high level, right? Yeah. Because if if people are, are successful and they're winning, like they're, they're, they're feeling like they're doing things right and executing at a high level, that helps contribute to a really positive culture. If people don't aren't taught how to do something the right way, and then they start to fail at something at no fault of theirs, yeah. that starts to really detract from yeah. culture in a big way, right? And so we learned as we started to scale and we started to spread our team out more that we didn't have the caliber of training infrastructure that we needed to be as successful as we wanted to be. And even if we just stayed at three locations, we didn't have the training materials as dialed as we probably needed them to be to make sure that we kept our team growing and feeling satisfied in the three units that we had at that at that time right and so that became that's when we kind of started to to change our thinking on training and development um and started putting a ton of energy into um you know career paths and um 
hiring training managers and just putting a lot of time into that that side of the business. Yeah, so take us through, and I love that you just said career paths. We had uh, Nick Cirillo on the show who helped us uh, understand how to build tangible framing within your business for growth. So it's like, so basically what that means is when somebody gets hired on day one, they can peer 10 years into the future exactly. and know exactly where they can end up because it's laid out. Exactly. Here's step one. Here's step two. Here is the test you take. Here's the certification you take. Here's the new hat you wear, you know, and they can see that. So is that what you were doing? Exactly. That, That's okay. exactly it. I mean, the, the there's nothing worse than feeling like you're out of control and have no vision for what the future holds, yeah. right? Like giving people real visibility into what the potential is here, like... A, helps them feel more in control, but B, also gives them something to really strive for and work towards if they want to be in this industry and if they want to make this not just a job right now, but a career, right? And so, like, laying out that roadmap, it was, like, such a critical step for us. because You're giving them vision for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And that was something we did early on with this location. And, like, Coco, who's running this restaurant right now, started out as a team member five years ago for us, right? Yeah. Now she's running this store. Like, how amazing is that? I don't think that would that would exist if... I want to put Coco on camera. Coco. Coco. Wait for the camera. See you later. <laughs> Sorry. But so I think, um, you know, that is... Would that have happened if we didn't at least help them see some vision of what you know, the future could be here. I have no idea, right? But we, but we try to lay that out. Um, and I, I'm so grateful. Like the number of three, four, five, six, ten 10-year anniversaries that I've celebrated for people on our team this year. That's amazing. You know, it's so, like, it, it's, it's a great feeling. It's yeah, probably man. one of the most rewarding parts of the job. I can only imagine. But can, you, can you get into some, like, the detail as far as what that framing, that training looks like? Like, what a good training program look, looks yeah. like, what the elements are, the pieces are? Sure. So we have a couple things. One is just, like, basic station training, right? Yeah. Like, we try to start with a simple station to help you learn how to do something that can contribute to, you know, our flow, but also it gives you the opportunity to kind of peripherally, you know, see and start to feel how the rest of the kitchen operates, right? And so even though you may not be learning all the stations at the same time, you know, you can start to just like feel the rhythm of 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 the kitchen and start yeah. to like through not through osmosis, but like, you know, you start to just absorb what's going on right um so that's one part of the process and we have station you know that that kind of then evolves into um more and more complicated stations over time you know with the goal of being you're kind of cross-training all the stations just like how you scaled your concept you started doing a few things really well right same idea with an employee get them doing one thing really well exactly until they master it master that now now it's time to add a new you know gadget to your your tool belt now you can do this that mastery is so important for two reasons one it allows them to contribute to the overall, you know, goals of the restaurant. Two, it allows them to have some small wins and start to build confidence in yes. our restaurant, right? Yeah. And that confidence is so critical to the early success of, you know, an employee and to helping, you know, help make their prospects for long-term employment better, right? Yeah. Because if you're failing, if you're not winning out of the gate, if you're not doing something and you feel like you're doing it right out of the gate... That starts to really chip away at things. Oh, yeah. You got to win. You, you got to win. Wins. Everyone yeah. wants to win. So step one, break your break your kitchen into sections, your restaurant into sections, and then train on the section. And what's step two? 
So after you've mastered all those stations, right, if you have interest, we can then start to put you on a growth path. So we have what we call Melt Master. That's a training position in our restaurant. So team member is the first step. Melt Master is the second step. Okay. And the reason why we have that Melt Master as a second step is because you can't be a great leader if you don't know how to teach and how to coach and how to train, right? So Melt Master is that second step in the process. And that really happens after you've you know, proven that you've mastered all the, 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 the stations through assessments. Yep. Um, and you've been scheduled on those stations so during real p- service. That's part of the process, too, developing the assessments to make sure there's a standardization. Yes, right? yes, okay. yes. Sorry. No, that's cool. I'm, like, going through the no, actual No, I love the steps. detail, man. This is great. Um, and after Meltmaster for us is management. And so um, with management, you know, we have a training curriculum for that. And, and in that curriculum, you know, you're learning how to – do inventory. You're learning how to um, write schedules. You're learning. Yeah, yeah. You're learning how to properly open the restaurant or close the restaurant or transition the restaurant. You learn how to do the checklists on blanket or yeah. t- take you know food temps and document it. You're learning all the managerial steps that are required to run a shift um, successfully. So is Melt Expert kind of like an AGM and this is a, a, a manager? Or a, not melt, AGM? a Melt Master is really a, it's a, it's an hourly training position. Got it. Um, and once the, the Melt Master position is really kind of suggesting that you are interested in growth here yeah. and you are now officially on the next step in the growth path. Okay. Beautiful. Um, I think we probably unpackaged that Fairly well. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. There's more if you want to talk about it. Yeah. But I think I want to leave a little bit more because like now um, by 2018, I think I I saw something a modern restaurant manager uh, was the most recent video I saw of you. You were at 14 locations with plans to double in the next year. You're going to bring it to 28 locations. Obviously, that was at the beginning of COVID-19. Where were you? Total locations. The last I counted was 13. Right now, we have 15 locations. 15. Okay. So we actually closed a couple of locations during the pandemic, yeah. unfortunately. Um, so what did you get up to at one point? We were at 19, getting ready to open 20. Got it. Um, and so we were, we were like right there. Um, and, you know, I think the pandemic was like a big reset for us. Yeah. You know, obviously, like... You know, a lot of people have suffered, you know, throughout this and our industry has been hit incredibly hard. Um, and it's forced us to not only take a couple steps backwards, but then also like rethink how we operate the business and gave us the ability to try some new things out along the way yeah. um, that we can talk about too. Yeah, yeah. So real quick before we get into like the new things that you're trying out, how you evolve for the future, because uh, I do want to unpackage that. There's So there's usually like an evolution from like, one to two to three to like four, five, six. There's a, some things that, we, that that happened that which we just unpackaged, really. But then there's a whole another set of things you have to get into when you start going from like six to like twelve or eighteen. So what were the evolutionary things that had to happen for you and your business to kind of get to that point of like nineteen locations? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a couple of things. One, it was it was bringing in new talent that had experience and that you know could help us scale right yeah. like now we're not just looking for people that can help us run the restaurant day to day across a few locations but we need people that are going to help us build and manage systems for 10 20 30 50 locations no, we need people that are PR and marketing and things like that we need we need HR. a marketing department we yeah. need an HR department yeah. we need supply chain you know if, if we're scaling 
outside of New York Metro. We need to go to another operating company and warehouse for you know food distribution. How right? Consistent. How how, yeah. do, how are you going to get the same things yeah. in both those places and make the same sandwich in both those lo- locations? Right. Yeah. So um, we went from you know really just focusing on day to day operations to doing that plus scaling it. Yeah. So when did these things start to happen for you? At what point? I think as soon as we started to venture outside of New York City is when we started to realize there's there's other layers that we need to start adding to our infrastructure. And at what point was that? Hmm. I would say five years into the business. Okay. And that's when we opened Roosevelt Field Mall. Gotcha. And we saw how successful that location yeah. was. And we're like, all right, now we can start to really look at, you know, let's 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 start to get on a more aggressive growth trajectory. So keep in mind, behind all of this still is Orify Brands. What role are they playing? So they are our capital. Okay. They help support us from a And for the listeners, Orify Brands is Andy and John, the five points. Yes. That helped you get started, Correct. Just to, as a reminder. They they helped us from an accounting and HR perspective. Um, and there were, depending on the year and the time and what was going on in the organization, they helped with ongoing development support and strategy. You know, John and Andy are really successful serial entrepreneurs and yeah. they're incredibly smart, amazing guys. And so they were, they were my mentors yeah. slash sounding board that yeah. I could throw things yeah. off of. Like, hey, I'm going to go lean into this thing really hard. What do you think? You know? Yeah, and I'm sure they probably had access. And this is, these are assumptions. But they probably were doing your accounting from a very early point. Yes, correct. And I'm assuming they had access to lawyers. Uh, they, they did. Had, had their own. Yeah, but I mean, it was we, we, we had a few different lawyers over the years yeah. until we really settled into a relationship. And those are the two things that people usually say you got to outsource first is accounting and, and legal. Yeah. So you already have that element when you join forces with these people, which in a way, indirectly, right? Yeah. I mean, I think like they were still just building their restaurant infrastructure too. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that that um, function existed, but that was still being optimized. Just like we were, like we were basically on a similar growth trajectory. Like that infrastructure and Melt Shop were kind of growing. Because you were the parallel. first, they were the first in the family. Right? We were, yeah, we were the first original Maybe brand, aside from Five Guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. listen, running a fully baked franchise is totally different than starting something from scratch. Oh yeah, it's for night sure, and day. for sure. For so sure. so the the skills required to run that day to day and the infrastructure needed to support it was very different than what we needed at the time and what you know the work that was required to get Melchop to, to, Got it. to where okay. it is. It, I'm not saying there wasn't value add and what they had. It definitely was super helpful to um, share an office with that group. Yeah. Uh, so for so sure. We got up to the point where you know you're at nineteen locations, you're about to really explode and scale. Your goal was to get to twenty eight locations by twenty twenty, I think is what I heard. Obviously that didn't happen for no reason that was your own, right? Uh, but you and I don't want to spend a lot of time on reflecting on like what we should be doing to to evolve be, or what we should have done because that, that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the future now and yep. like what you did over the past year to during the slow time to evolve and be ready for the future. Mm-hmm. So what were the biggest changes your, your organization took on in the, the past 12 months? Yeah. I mean, you're, you ready for this? Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, so listen, for, New York City got hit incredibly hard by the oh, pandemic yeah. and... It was pretty clear, like in March, 
we were like, all right, like we want we want to be a participant in the solution to whatever happens here, yeah. right? And so as soon as we saw like schools were getting ready to close, I just started like looking for as many contacts as I could find to say like what can we do to help? And I got all the way to the mayor's office. And we were like, what what are the biggest problems that need solving? And they're like, yeah. schools are closing in the next few days. Kids aren't going to be able to get school lunch, right? And so we were like, all right, how can we how can we help with that? We have distribution points all over the city. We make food. Anybody who needs a, a, a free school lunch can come into any melt shop or we'll help you get food so you're not going, you know, hungry, yeah. right? That was like kind of like the first phase yeah. of our, you know, attack plan here. Yeah. That evolved into meals for essential workers, feeding the elderly, um, and, you know, really just kind of opening up our network to help and connect wherever we could um, as the situation was evolving. Um, Then, you know, getting into April, we realized, you know, this isn't just like a two-week thing, you know? Like, people are like, oh, it's going to come and go. Um, This is going to be around for a while, and we need to really get prepared to, um, you know, survive. You know, we're going to have to get into real survivor mode here. And so... One of the things that we did right away is like we asked ourselves like what how do we gain or how do we build revenue um, because we just lost you know ninety percent of it like I, you know it just disappeared overnight and so right away we were like what about like all of our businesses online eighty percent of its dinner like how do we how, what's the lesson to learn there and so that's when we were like we should start a virtual concept yeah. and. Um, in within the first two weeks of April, we launched our first virtual brand called Melts Wing Shop. Um, the reason we launched Melts Wing Shop was I had the 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 branding basically already done with Melt Shop. I had yeah. all the logos, the fonts. It was us creating an MVP, right? Yeah. It's like, all right, how do I just get something out to market and just see if this thing works? Um, you know, we know how to cook. We have amazing sauces and toppings, and um, we have fryers we had like a lot of the infrastructure needed to create a great wing program um and so we spent two weeks like really dialing in um a menu and we're like by calling it melts wing shop we can use all of our melt shop packaging and we leveraged our third-party relationships and said hey we have you know a week that we want to program this thing and we just want to turn it on and see how it does immediately it jumped to 20 percent of our sales now remember we were still 90 percent down right so you're uh, still doing all of your melt stuff like your melt shop was st- the a lot of our locations were closed they were like forced to close yeah. like all of our malls like those yeah. landlords like yeah. like those local governments forced malls to close right but Manhattan three out of our four Manhattan locations stayed open the entire pandemic okay um, and so we were running our full melt shop menu during that time got it got it so after we did this wings thing you know not only were we triaging every day but we we as a group said to each other, Listen, we don't know how long this is going to be. We don't know how tough it's going to get. But no matter what, we need to use this this crazy time as an opportunity to make sure that no matter what, we leave this better than we yeah. started it. And I'm right? assuming that you were set up before COVID-19 for online ordering, delivery, and all that stuff. You were doing that. So you didn't have to, like, pivot at that point. You just your business just went there instead of I mean in Manhattan right like our mall food court operations a little bit different and our airport operations a little bit different but in our high street Manhattan locations with dining rooms and full takeout and dine in you know revenue um, 
pre-pandemic, we were at like 70-30 dine-in, take-out to delivery. Got it. Right? Yeah. And then that changed to flipped like 95 <laughs> yeah. five yeah. Yeah, yeah. at least at the height of things got it so you also developed a new brand the wings anything else you developed during that time Multiple? yeah so we so once we were, once we were like all right we need to get into a revenue growth position because we got to start calling back that 90 percent right we were like all right virtuals is going to be you know phase one of this this plan and we we, we came up with a bunch of different ideas and we were like all right once a month we're going to start you know, cranking these things out. That was uh, an aggressive plan, but we, you know, we, we, that was how we were thinking at the time anyway. So quickly we, st- we launched melts cheesesteaks and the reason we launched melts cheesesteaks, we're like, all right, well we have grills, we have toaster ovens, we have cheese, we have bread, we have access yeah. to the other key ingredients we need to make this, this program really work and successful. Let's let's build Melts cheesesteaks, and we basically did the same exact thing we did with Wing Shop. But what we didn't do was understand guest behavior and the need states that they had in this moment, in the day parts that they were really interested in getting served. And so, within six weeks of starting Melts cheesesteaks, we closed it because we weren't happy with the results. We felt like we weren't because the volume wasn't wasn't where we needed it to be. We didn't feel like we were. We were going to get um, the product as consistent in the quality where we wanted every single time. And so, we're like, if we can't do this the melt shop way and do it really right, yeah. it's not worth our time. Let's fail fast and let's get let's, yeah. let's move on to the next opportunity, right? And so, we tested that at one location. In week two, we, we, we put it in two. By week four, we're like, we'll give this two more weeks. By week six, we're like, all right, let's move on to the next So, how many total different sub brands did you come up with you had the, the so right now we have a total of seven brands right now we have three that are in market one is in every location two are in test locations those two are two are getting rolled out to all of our locations next week once that happens we'll start we're going to start to test two more okay um and so we've come up with um you know a more staged process for rolling these out and testing these and the reason why, frankly, we haven't done more faster is really because of the team, right? Like, on top of all of that, we completely evolved our core menu. Like, the number of core menu new categories and items we rolled out during this time is significant as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, you, can't, you can't roll out 100 new items in, in one, one year. Um, and not really stress out the system. Yeah, you, know? you have to make sure things stay consistent and all that. And you got to be methodical, and we owed it to our team to not do not not change too many things at one time, right? Especially in what was arguably the most stressful time to operate a restaurant in New York City history, right? Like yeah. it was so tough. You know, our team bent over backwards to keep our restaurants open. They worked so hard. They were the ones putting themselves at risk every day. Um, and so, on top of all of that stress. You know, we needed to be mindful about, you know, what other things we did as well. You know, and so, like, if this was a completely stress-free environment, maybe we could have all seven rolled out at the yeah. same time. But we chose to, you know, roll things out, you know, yeah, at a pace that was palatable. All seven of those brands, were they all some, like, some rendition of Melt fill in the blank? Or did you, do you have some standalone brands that you would never know are a part of your... Right now, every... So... The only melts anything is melts wing shop because yeah. it was the first one and started gaining traction. We were like, all right, we got to kind of yeah. stick with this for now. Yeah. Everything else is some version of shop. 
Um, so we have uh, Mac Shop. We have Crispy Chicken Shop. We have um, Parm Shop, which we're getting ready to roll out, which is yeah. freaking awesome. Like, it's yeah. so good. Um, we have Salad Shop, and we have a few others that we so have in the hop. what's the benefit of having each one of these items have their own brand? Well, so there's a couple things involved. One... It allows you to capture, you know, more digital real estate, right? I yep. think that's that's the biggest SEO benefit. Is what it comes down to, right? Yeah, I think, you know, whether it be on a native channel or on third party, right? Yep. Like, the I view the internet as, you know, a sidewalk, right? Yep. There's 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 foot traffic that walks by, and there's foot traffic that passes you online, yeah. right? And you generally searching for one thing. It's all right? about point point of presence and visibility, yeah. right? And so by creating additional brands, we're creating additional points of presence and visibility online to, you know, attract more customers. Or we're also creating um, more targeted um, categories for people to search for that might be might come up earlier in, in a search function when you're on yeah. a marketplace or what have you. Yep, yep. So there's a lot of different so reasons for it. It's really interesting. We started this conversation talking about starting as small as possible with a small footprint, 275 square feet, right? Now, all you need is a kitchen. You don't even need a dining room. You don't even, you don't even need a storefront. You just need a kitchen. And you can create these brands and test the market and look for traction. Yep. Then when you find track and ch- traction, then you can start to develop brands around that and grow it from there. So it's it's never been cheaper to open a restaurant. That's, or to get that's true. Yes. Yeah. And there's sure. a lot of opportunity that spun out of COVID nineteen. Really, when you if you're looking for silver linings, yep. right? Um, anything did you change over the past year as far as like streamlining process with technology, things along those lines to do perform better online? In terms of like menu, because I know your infrastructure was already set up to be digital and online. Yeah, but did you did you pivot or did you yes. evolve? Yeah, big time. You know, so not only did we build new virtual brands over the last year, we we also really evolved our core menu, like our yeah. milk shop core. Like yeah. we added an entire gourmet mac and cheese category that's killer. Yeah, our new salad program is best in class. Like there, our salads are amazing. Um, we added a Korean fried chicken sandwich in a whole chicken on a bun category. I mean, we really evolved yeah. from a food perspective like crazy. But on top of that, we also rolled out a new app and web app and loyalty program. Okay. Um, so we've been on fire from a yeah. change perspective, and it has been so impactful. Like that 90% down, we're back to basically flat, wow. you know? Um, and there's very few concepts in this market that can say that. And your, your, your physical locations really aren't doing... I mean, we're, we're sitting in, at what point, was your most busy location. Yep. And this is at no fault to you. Just we're in Manhattan. Yep. You know, it's not the same Manhattan it was a year ago. Yep. So you're maintaining those numbers, and you're doing it virtually. Um, at some stores, I mean, this we're like in the heart of, yep. of Midtown right yep. now. Like our other locations in Manhattan are doing well. Their dining rooms are, yep. you know at the capacity limit, yeah. you know, during our peak hours. Um, so what, like where we, where we're down here, we're way up in those other locations. Yeah. This just happens to be, you know, the hardest hit yeah. sub market of this city. Yeah. Right? Which, which market is this again? 
New York City. No, uh, oh, Midtown. You mean Midtown? Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, cool. Um, not <laughs> clearly not. From I was like, New you're York. in New York, not just so you New know. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I? I move around a lot. Yeah. So, um, okay, we covered a lot. I think it's close that we can start wrapping up the conversation. You did mention a loyalty program and an app. Can you share the technology, like the the companies behind those? Sure. So we are using Punch for Loyalty. Okay. We've we've been we've been working with Olo for years, okay. um, but we added our own layer on top of it. So now we have our own native uh, ordering app. It's order.melchop.com. We completely designed the UX, UI, um, branded it ourselves. Within that experience, you can also order from some of our virtual brands. So, you know, over time, we're going to continue to add virtual brands to that experience. Um, And what's interesting about that is you can, you know, order from Melchop if you're feeling melty. You can order crispy chicken sandwiches from crispy chicken shop um and you can um use the same loyalty program you can check out of one cart you can have one delivery driver drop it off to you that's great so over time as we start to build out this virtual food hall you know if you're with a family or a group of friends it gives you the opportunity to really um have something for everyone without the inconvenience of swiping 16 cards and having a bunch of different delivery drivers show up at different times um, and you get the loyalty points too Beautiful. for it, which we think is really convenient. Yep. I want to make sure we, we end on our agreed upon time. I've loved this conversation. I keep on pushing because you're giving us really specific advice. It's been great, man. Thank you so much. One more question before we go to the speed round. Uh, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you transformed since 2011? Who are you today versus the man you were getting started? Starting a restaurant is the most humbling experience <laughs> I've ever had okay. in my life. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm a more patient, nicer, better person because of the time I've spent in building this business in this industry. Um, and I want to be better than I am today, next year, right? And so, um, you know, I think... I deal with people in hospitality and I deal with people in business. And it's so funny, like when I deal with like finance people or, you know, people that are more business minded, they're always like hospitality people are so nice. Right. (laughs) You know, like that's the thing you hear like constantly. And I think it's because, you know, when you're in the trenches together of of a restaurant, you know, you really learn how to like work as a team at a, at a level that's like really hard to replicate in, in other spaces. And so, um, the building's always on fire. It's just another day, right? Yeah. So, like, we're just constantly like, oh, it's no big deal. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so, I think it just made me a better person. It's the only way I could, I could describe it. Awesome stuff. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make 
on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Essentially, what is your strength? Grit. What is your biggest weakness? Patience. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team or you're interviewing? What do you want to see out of us as an employer? What do you want to see out of us as an employer? Uh, what are you looking for? Me? As a, for an answer when you ask that question. Like well, it's either like I want I want a career here, I want yeah. to learn this, or yeah. I want to um, do this while I'm going to, you know, you're looking for some kind of drive, business school or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's just more understanding why they're sitting in front of me and. This, this, what, what, why they want to be a part of this organization versus somewhere else. What's your biggest challenge today? Um, making sure our people are safe and happy. How are you overcoming it? Working on making sure our people are safe and happy. <laughs> Got it. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be. You know, I think it's love the hustle, work hard. What's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common throughout the four walls of your restaurants as far as how to go above and beyond for the guests. That's not common throughout the industry. It's not common. Hmm. I mean, I think we empower our team to really make decisions. You know, like we don't like if someone feels they need to comp someone for something, they're empowered to do that. We're not asking too many questions. Love it. Uh, What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Can't the, say Danny Miner saying the thing. one thing. <laughs> the one thing. What's that about? It's basically about doing the one thing that's going to make everything else easier, right? So it's about prioritization yep. and also being willing to say no to the things that are a distraction, a waste yeah, of time. I love that. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? take days off yeah that's true uh name one service you've hired or outsourced so this is something that you recognize it can be done more efficiently better if you have somebody else do it accounting Accounting. we we now have a company paper chase we work with that we love what's the name of the company paper chase paper chase what is one piece of technology you've adopted or you're looking to adopt within your restaurant that's going to have a huge impact on communication Efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines. You already mentioned blanket. Mies. Uh, Mies? What's Mies? Mies is a recipe management software that helps with um, you know, documentation, documentation training, costing, um, and uh, 
we're very excited to onboard yeah. that. I um, actually interviewed uh, Becky Mulligan a mm-hmm. uh, little bit, and I talked to her director of um, culinary, I believe is his mm-hmm. official title. Yep. Uh, and we did a demo of Mies. Nice. And I captured what it looks like and how it works. And I actually interviewed uh, the founder of Mies, Josh Sharkey, as well. So if you guys are interested in Mies, uh, do check it out. Full disclosure, they are an affiliate because I really believe in these no guys. No way. So if you guys are interested in Mies, please use our links. You're supporting the show. Actually, I'll save you money if you use our links. So use our links. Uh, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 803. This is episode 803, and you can find the links right in there. Um, and thank you in advance for supporting the podcast. Last question. Are you ready for it? I'm not, but it's go ahead. It's a tough one. So. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all <laughs> been tough. I, I'm having trouble uh, thinking of my feet here. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be gone through your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Pretend you're telling this to your kids. (laughs) Is my pause the longest pause on uh, of of all 803? (laughs) uh, Roll your eyes at me, which is good. Usually I get a good good eye roll. It took me. uh, It took me some time to learn this, but you know, I think especially professionally right like find something you love and can find joy in and don't take yourself too seriously you know try and have fun that's two and i I owe you another one right (laughs) um but you know it's also you got to find work-life balance you know i think especially as a restaurateur sometimes it's easy to get you know so absorbed in the minutia and the day-to-day that um you know make time for yourself at home so you know you gotta you gotta balance Spencer Rubin, uh, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So that's how I found you. Becky called you out. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it was Becky that called you out. It might have been, was it um, was it the meatball shop that called you? I can't keep track uh, no, of it. I have no idea. But uh, who do you respect and admire in this industry? Uh, somebody that if you found out they were a guest on the show tomorrow, you'd be tuning in because you know you'd learn something. I think you should interview Michael Jacober from Blanket. All right. I think he's starting a great company that we use, we love. It's helped us, and he's a fascinating guy, I think, with a story we're telling. Beautiful. Michael, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And um, how can we connect with you? I know you guys are probably ramping back up. Are you still doing? The, are you still looking to bring this thing to, to 28 locations in the next year? Is I don't that, think it'll be the next year, but yeah. we certainly plan on growing. Franchising. We're st- we're, we, we plan on franchising. Um, we're looking at building two no- new locations. Um, starting at the end of this year. So we're getting ready to kind of hit the growth button again, which we're really excited about. So if you want to pick up the conversation, maybe we have questions or we want to join your team or we're interested in franchising, what's the best way? You can email us at holler at meltshop.com. Beautiful. And again, this is episode 803. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 803. We'll have a summary of today's discussions as well as links to any tools, services, or books recommended. Please use my links. Thank you in advance. And how to connect with the melt shop over there again so thank you there is no so thank you thank you so much there is no questioning you are unstoppable thanks for having me cheers thank you there we go another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable spencer rubin dude killing it i love the approach you took to get to where you are today that uh 
decision to go work for a consulting firm in a construction firm, design firm for the restaurant industry. So smart. Uh, and it really served you. It's still serving you to this to this day. So, so much cool stuff happening at Restaurant Unstoppable this week. As you're listening to this, I am in Chicago. I just got in last night. And if you want to connect while I'm out here, feel free to reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. That's Eric with a C. Um, I love connecting with my listeners. You can even come hang out uh, during the interviews if you if you want. That's something I would like to start doing. I'm inviting you guys to actually be on site with me when I'm interviewing. So if you're interested on Monday, when you're listening to this, I'll be connecting with Joe Fontana from Fry the Coop. If that name sounds familiar, he's been a guest a few times on the show and I've actually known him for years now. He was a, a part of a, the first restaurant unstoppable mastermind that I ever hosted. And uh, he's doing an amazing job scaling that fry the coop concept. And this will be the third time he comes on the show. We're kind of been like reconnecting every couple of years to, to cover his progress. And he's just doing such a great job. I'm also connecting with first time uh, guests on the show, Zach Engel from Galit. That's going to be Tuesday. Nothing scheduled for Wednesday yet. That might change. Uh, I'm reconnecting with Kevin Bohm from the Boca restaurant group. That should be a really interesting conversation. And then I have Ken McGarry coming on the show. He's the author of The Surprise Restaurant Manager. Uh, we're going to be covering his book and talking about his career. And then we have Eric Williams on Friday joining us. Uh, and that should be another good one from Virtue Restaurants uh, doing some really great stuff. So if you're interested in crossing paths while I'm out in Chicago, I would love to connect with you again. Shoot me an email, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Uh, and then also, uh, things are going really great in the network. We have our first ever live course that launched last week. We did our second lesson today and uh the the students are having a blast we're recording this so you can purchase the recording in the future if you are interested it's on costing and profit it's been rudy's killing it it's been awesome and then i'll be back in a couple weeks to be doing lots of live uh sessions in the network actually speaking of live sessions today's guest spencer rubin will be joining us live in the network in a couple weeks so if you want to connect directly with Spencer and ask your questions, reflect on his episode, be sure to join the network. And if 30 bucks a month is too much for you right now, I get it. Uh, I was there at 1.2. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'll get you a link for a 30-day trial so you can join the conversation if you really want to connect with Ruben. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.